Welcome to the Rock Ag Podcast. This is your host, Garrett Coffey, Ag and Natural Resource Agent for the University of Kentucky in Rockcastle County. Today, we will be joined by Ben Kreitz, Extension Associate for Beef and IRM Coordinator for the University of Kentucky. And Ben will soon be completing his doctorate in reproductive physiology and beef cattle. Today, we'll be discussing synchronization of cattle for natural service and artificial insemination. All right, Ben, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're glad to have you on. It's the time of year that we're gonna start um, thinking about getting our cattle bred, especially for our, our spring calvers. So I thought it'd be good to get you on, talk about some um, some synchronization of cattle for whether you're using natural service, AI, whatever, and maybe talk, uh, first of all, let's talk about um, why we wanna sync. And obviously we're trying to probably attain a cabin season if we're doing that, maybe shorten a cabin season or whatever. So talk about just a few benefits of why we wanna sync and why we wanna get a cabin season going. All right, well, first of all, Garrett, thank you uh, for having me on here today. Really uh, appreciate this opportunity. And, and like you said, it's kind of a very timely timely topic people are are either thinking about turning bulls out here pretty quick uh or are you know are already in that breeding season so i guess to to start with your question uh maybe best to tackle it from why have a controlled calving season rather than a year-round calving season where your bull is with the cows year-round and uh we've we've done a lot of uh presentations on this and really a lot of discussions and uh, surprisingly, or maybe something I, I didn't realize when we were first kind of tackling all this and worked with the farm program, but uh, over half of all the farms in the United States don't have a controlled calving season. So bulls are out with the cows year round, 365 days, and, uh, you know, could expect to have a calf any day of the week. So, you know, why would somebody want to shift to a controlled calving season, whether that be just, just one season calving in the spring or calving in the fall, or perhaps they want to have two and, and calf, you know, twice a year, calf in the spring and in the fall. So kind of for today and, and some things that we'll go through, uh, you know, most people in Kentucky uh, that I've worked with tend to lean more towards the spring. And um, actually, when you turn bulls out, if bulls are turned out year round, cows will kind of shift naturally and you'll have more cows uh, calf in the spring than in the fall. So I'm going to kind of start with all of our examples today and assume a spring calving season starting on March 1st. Right, so that would our, that would lead to our, our, our breeding date or start date would be May 22nd. Just kind of an easy number there yeah. to work with. So there's been some uh, really good studies and some data out of the University of Arkansas that looked at kind of the differences between year-round calving and having a controlled 90-day calving window. And they, they took this data from eight farms and really, really uh, uh, good data and in-depth an in-depth study. And those farms that were year round or when those farms were, were year round, they were selling 45 pounds, so almost 50 pounds fewer per calf, right? So think about it as when you go to the sale barn, uh, calving year round that on average, each calf weighs 50 pounds less. Well, that starts to, to add up, right? Really quick. If we're, we could sell a 550 pound steer versus a 500 pound steer, you know, we're in the business of, of commercial beef production and we're in the business of pounds. And pounds sell and that, that's how we get our paycheck right is, is by pounds but interestingly even though those those calves were selling or weighing 50 pounds less right when they're selling them the cost to produce those those 50 fewer pounds the cost was almost 15 dollars per hundred weight more right so not only are they selling less pounds uh, in a year-round uh, situation uh, on average right 50 pounds fewer per calf 
but the cost to produce those pounds is $15 more than if they were in a controlled calving season. So just kind of from an economic standpoint, yeah. uh, some pretty big numbers. And I mean, you know, I was sitting there thinking about that as you're going through it. And whenever I think about that is that whenever we're operating on the very minimal uh, profits that we operate on in most commercial beef systems, I mean, that right. could be a difference in making a few dollars and losing a few dollars. Absolutely. And if it could be as simple as, as uh, you know, removing the bull from the cows yeah. uh, to create a breeding season, yeah, you know, to capture $50 per calf and and even on, on 30 cows, right? That's, that's quite a few pounds total. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And like you said, like, like you said, the economic part of that, man, you could, you could, that could be the difference in the money that you make in a year's time. A absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that being said, obviously uh, we want to try to get these cattle on a calving uh, date. You know, we want to start date and we want to end date. We want right. to know when that is. So obviously we want to take our bulls out. So I'm going to back up and we're going to talk about maybe the two and three weeks before we start with our bulls. And so if I'm doing natural service, I think probably the most simple way that I could probably try to get my cows synchronized to start having heat cycles, extra cycles, and to get those bred and in a timely manner. Let's talk about MGA feed just a little bit. What is that exactly? So MGA is a progestogen, and it's actually the, the synthetic version of the hormone progesterone. Uh, the hormone progesterone is, is, is produced by the cow, uh, it's produced by the corpus luteum. And if we think about uh, hormones, and, and fortunately, uh, the, the individuals that were naming the hormones when they were discovered, uh, there's, I mean, it actually makes a lot of sense. So if we break down progesterone as progestational, that's the hormone that it's required to maintain pregnancy. So MGA is a synthetic version of progesterone. Uh, it's a feed additive. Uh, it can be fed in several different ways. They can come as a range cube where it's, they're about the size of your thumb. They can come as a little pellet that you can top dress feed. Uh, and then it, it can uh, also, it's a, a powder. Most commonly, uh, you, you know, it's purchasing that range cube where it's a complete pellet. You don't have to worry about adding any additional feed. So it's, it's mimicking what's normally happening in the cow, right, with, with progesterone. And if we think about, uh, you know, cows that are anestrous or cows that are not cycling normally, using a progestogen uh, is a very uh, useful tool to help kind of initiate and, and kickstart what we would, you know, think of as a normal heat cycle in those cows. So the other thing it does, so, so as it's kind of kickstarting the estrous cycle, right, or, or getting cows to come in heat, uh, MGA is, is, uh, is pretty cheap, really. So the last time I looked at the cost of MGA and buying those range cubes, uh, they were it was less than $3 per cow for the entire treatment period. So uh, maybe to back up a little bit, so we would feed MGA uh, for seven days before we would turn our bulls in, Okay. right? So if we're going to turn our bulls in on May 22nd, if we're shooting for that March 1 calving date to start our, our uh, calving window, right? Our controlled calving season, we would feed MGA from May 15th to May 21st. So we're feeding it for seven days. Okay. Uh, and, and the cost of that entire seven day period being, being just $3 per cow. Uh, there are some kind of pros and cons to MGA. So one of the pros is it's really, it's really inexpensive. So that's $3 per cow, right? For the entire week, not $3 per day, but $3 per cow for the entire seven days. Uh, but you also have to go and feed your cows every day. 
Right. Uh, and so if you're not already doing that, if cows are kicked out to grass standing, you're not going to feed your cows, you don't have the ability or don't have the time. If you have an off the farm job or some things of that sort, that is a downfall. But probably the easiest thing to do, uh, Garrett, like you said, would, would be to feed MGA and then turn the bulls in. The one thing that I, that I think about um, with feeding MGA and, and whenever we feed a group of cows, inevitably we're going to have one cow that's probably going to eat 10 pounds of feed and one cow that's going to eat one. How, right. how much is that going to affect what we're trying to attain with this program? So, so it actually does have an effect. You know, that cow that's eating 10 pounds of feed, it doesn't have a negative effect on that cow that she's consuming more of that MGA. You know, the downfall there is the cow uh, that's getting pushed out of the way all the time because there is a pecking order. Uh, that will be kind of where the problem is. And, and that cow won't have those benefits of receiving the MGA. Yeah. Um, so that, that is a limitation there. The other question that we get a lot is, uh, what if my bull is already in with the cows? You know, uh, does the MGA have a negative effect on the bull? And no, uh, MGA, it, you know, that hormone progesterone doesn't have a negative effect on the bull. It's not helping him by any means, but it's, it's certainly not hurting him. The other question then is the calves. Well, what if I have some older calves on cows at the same time or in that group? Will MGA have a negative effect on the calves? And no, it, it won't there. They're eating a very minimal amount, again, not having a negative effect. Okay, so probably, you know, that's a that's an easy system, I think, and that's probably pretty, pretty inexpensive. But if we step up one step and we talk about doing some cedars for natural service, uh, talk about the cedar and, and the protocol for getting that started and how we would go about that. Sure, absolutely. So a very similar uh, design or similar treatment period as feeding MGA. So a cedar is a controlled internal drug release uh, device. It's a little white T-shaped plastic device and on the ends uh, that's inserted vaginally into the cow uh, and will remain in there for seven days. And there's a little white powder on the end of the cedar uh, that is progesterone. So that's absorbed uh, through the vagina of the cow during the time that the cedar is inserted. So for a cedar though, uh, it would be in on May 14th and out on the 21st, right? So think about if we put it in today on Monday and we would pull it on Monday and then the bulls for both scenarios for the cedar or the cow, uh, the bull can go in the very next day or just as soon as you stop feeding MGA or as soon as you, you pull the cedar. Uh, kind of some pros and cons of the cedar, it's, it's opposite of MGA. So the price is a little bit higher per cow Cedars usually, uh, you know, I, I go with $10, but when you buy them in bulk, you can get them for $10. If you go to Southern States or go to a mill or your vet office to buy a bag of cedars, a bag of 10, they'll usually come out to be about $14 a piece. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, one cow gets one cedar. So we know that during those seven days that that cow is getting progesterone. So you don't have to worry about those boss cows pushing a, a younger, uh, or more timid cow out of the way. So we know she's getting the hormone for the entire time. Uh, it does require uh, running the cows through the chute twice uh, to, to put those cedars in and to pull those cedars. Uh, but unlike some uh, AI protocols that we'll talk about here in just a little bit, when we do use a cedar for natural service, it doesn't require any shots. So we don't have to worry about giving GNRH. We don't have to worry about giving prostaglandin when we pull that cedar. So it's, it's simply cedar in and seven days later, cedar out and the bull goes in. Cedars uh, tend to be a little bit more, uh, uh, have a higher efficacy than using MGA. 
Uh, so it's a little bit higher concentration and we see we tend to see better results with more cows exhibiting normal estrus cycles by using a cedar than using MGA alone. I think uh, we've used some cedars on our personal operation and I feel like that they actually work pretty good. And like you said, I mean, we're, we're trying to kickstart these cows out of anestrus, trying to get these cows cycling, trying to get these cows to breed back in a timely manner is the yes, main sir. goal, I think, of, of both the MGA and the cedar for natural service. Right. And when we, you know, really think about kind of our goal or what it is or, or maybe some results that we should expect, maybe we should, we should go there. So yeah. by, by kind of jump starting the estrus cycle or controlling the estrus cycle, initiating estrus, especially in those anestrus cows, uh, and by using uh, some form of synchronization for natural service, we're really trying to uh, shift the shift the calving season, right? So by doing so, and, and shift the proportion of cows that calve early in the calving season. So that leads to more calves born early. And if we wean at the same time, then since we have more calves born early, those ca those calves have more, you know, they're older at weaning and older calves way more, right? So we were capturing some value of having older calves that weigh more at weaning. Uh, but then also we, we, we also tend to see an increase in pregnancy rate as well. And it can be as high as, as you know, 10 to 15% is usually what we see when we, we look at in a controlled situation of using natural service or, or no synchronization. And, uh, you know, using synchronization or not using synchronization, we'll, we'll see an increase in preg rates. So from a, a return on investment, uh, is, is usually around the $150 to $175 per cow treated uh, with MGA or with a cedar and no synchronization at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's once again, that can be pretty substantial in, a, in the year's time for sure. Right. If we think of $150 per cow and we have 30 cows, well, that's, that's $4,500. Yeah. Uh, you know, just by, by using MGA or using a cedar. And in today's market, once again, that can be very close to being your profit on a 30 cow herd. Really, Absolutely. So, you know, for a cedar, you know, you run your cows through the chute twice. And if, if you'll run your cows through the chute twice and you'll get an extra $4,500, uh, uh, man, I'd say you're probably going to run your cows through the chute twice. I can sign up for that. Yeah, for sure. Right. Absolutely. So before we move on to maybe talking about some synchronization for AI, what about, so I, on using the MGA and the cedars both, and we were talking about, you know, just as soon as we pull those cedars or just as soon as we quit with the MGA, we want to turn our bull in. But the question that I have, so we're trying to synchronize these cows, trying to get more of them bred. So how many bulls do we need? How many cows per bull, I guess? Let's put it that way. Right. Nope. So this uh, is probably the second most common question that we get when we, we talk about MGA or cedar. So, you know, we talked about this and, and we, we said that it'll initiate estrus cycles in cows. And, uh, you know, we, so as soon as we pull the cedar, as soon as we stop feeding MGA, it's like, man, all 30 of my cows are going to be in heat on the same day. There is no way in the world my, my bull can breed my 30 cows, right? So if we say we have 30 cows, we, we probably have one bull. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when we do this and we, oh man, he's going to have to breed 30 cows tomorrow. There's no way that's going to happen. And there's no way that is going to happen. Yeah. But it's also not going to happen that all 30 cows are going to be in heat on the same day. Uh, so, and, and actually a mature bull that's bred cows before, uh, he can breed and, and the data shown up to 12 cows per day in service, 12 cows per day. So the short answer to your question is the bull to cow ratio or cow to bull ratio, I should say, uh, can remain the same. So we can do what we would, would normally do. So if we're running one bull per, per 20 or 30 cows, 
we can continue to run one bull with 20 or 30 cows because those cows are going to come in in, a, in about a seven to 10 day period. Yeah. So we're not trying to, with con- synchronizing for natural service, we're not trying to have all of our cows come in heat, uh, let's say on Wednesday. We just want our cows to, to start resuming a normal estrus cycle, you know, within yeah. a period of time, but not, not a day period. And I, you know, there's no way that we're going to get them all bred on that first heat cycle anyway. So I mean, right. never going to happen. No, that's never going to happen. And a lot of times in those cows that are in, in a really deep in estrus or, or talk about the late calving cows that just calved a few weeks ago. Uh, no, she's not going to cycle, you know, within that week, but she will have a kind of a silent estrus basically. Mm-hmm. And then another three weeks later, then she'll start to resume her normal uh, you know, estrus cycles. Uh, and that's the important ones. That's the ones we're trying to get going and trying to get back on cycle. Absolutely. So whenever we talk about synchronization, probably most people are, are probably going to think about artificial insemination. Um, and obviously that is important that, that makes it a lot easier for us. I think if we synchronize our cattle to breed on a specific time or whatever. So let's talk about, let's talk about some synchronization protocols for, I want to do some AI work, maybe one round and then turn in a cleanup bull. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Tell us what we need to do there. All right. Absolutely. So maybe we should start out uh, and backtrack a little bit. So when we're talking about synchronizing our cows, whether it's for natural service or AI and, and preparing for the breeding season, right? So our whole conversation today, we're already assuming that vaccinations have been given you know, and, and that's already been done and, and, and out of the way. So we don't have to worry about that. Ideally, that's done, you know, three to four weeks before we start thinking about synchronizing our cows. Um, so maybe maybe some of the benefits, why would somebody want to, you know, to synchronize their cows? And right, and again, it's shifting uh, the, the calving distribution, having more calves born early. When we, we add on AI on top of that, you know, then we can look at it from uh, the impact of genetic improvement. Uh, and and that aspect as well. So to get back to your question and kind of what protocols, you know, uh, maybe do I recommend or suggest to use in in cows? So let's start there with with our cows, right? Um, Most, the most common, I guess, protocol and maybe the industry standard is is what's called the seven-day co-sync plus cedar protocol. So again, we're going to start with our uh, breeding date of May 22nd because we want our calving season to start March 1st. Uh, and a lot of times, Garrett, you know, we think about AI and, and breeding on a certain day and breeding at a certain time uh, because maybe we have to hire a technician to come breed our cows. Or maybe, you know, you want to breed your cows, your own personal cows on Saturday uh, to avoid any, you know, problems at work. You don't want to take work off to breed your cows. So in either scenario, we we'll kind of approach this from a timed AI standpoint that we're going to schedule have somebody come breed our cows on May 22nd at, at nine o'clock in the morning. So what, what does that protocol look like? Uh, so for cows, it would, the cedars would go in on May 12th. And at that time, at any time of the day, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, when the cedar goes in, we would put the cedar in and we would also administer GNRH. Uh, those common trade names of GNRH would be Cicerella or Factoral or, or Fertigil. Okay. And that'd be a, two cc's of any of those products given intermuscularly. And then a week later on May 19th, we would remove that cedar and we would give uh, prostaglandin. A common name there that most folks are familiar with is lutealize, right? So we give five cc's of lutealize when we pull the cedar 
And if we're time breeding and we want to breed at 9 a.m. on the 22nd, then we would pull that cedar uh, around 3, 4, 5, or you know, after 3 p.m. Uh, so it's 66 hours. So if we pull the cedar at 3 p.m. and we breed at 9 a.m. on the 22nd. You know, when you look across the U.S. and in, in, the, in the AI industry and you talk to a lot of AI professionals, uh, this is kind of the, the uh, most common and uh, really the industry standard protocol to use for cows. Okay. I know that that's something that can get really murky really quick. If you start searching that is there is tons of protocols out there and tons of opinions. And Absolutely. So, you know, we want to avoid opinions and stick with what we know is, is factual information. Yes, sir. This one is, like you said, there is a multitude. If you look, you can look in any AI sire catalog, and there's usually two pages, a list of protocols for cows and a list of protocols for heifers by the Beef Reproduction Task Force, which is university specialists across the country. Uh, and, you know, with real data uh, into those and of those protocols that they recommend. But this is kind of the, uh, this one is very easy to use and we, we, we see really good results with this one as well. Okay. Okay. So that's cows. Heifers are different. Heifers are different. Um, you know, it's, uh, I understand in, in some situations that, uh, you know, we have our, we have 30 cows and uh, we only are maybe keep two or three heifers a year. Uh, so, you know, the protocol that, that I really like to use uh, is a five day cedar in heifers. Uh, so it would be working these heifers on a different day than the cows. Um, but if you want to do everything the same, if we do the same protocol with the cows and, and using it in a heifer, just simply pull those as late as possible uh, and then they would be bred first, right? So using a seven day in heifers, the time is 54 hours and that's actually pulling a cedar at three o'clock in the morning, uh, which I, I don't recommend that you get up at 3 a.m. pull your heifer cedar if you do a seven day. So we actually, I really like to use a five day cedar in heifers. Uh, and there's one listed in, in uh, you know, in that recommended protocol sheet. And Dr. Anderson and I for the last, um, I guess, five years um, since he and I have been working together in the farm program have, have modified a protocol a little bit and using heifers. Yeah. So for heifers, the cedar would go in on May 14th. Okay. And we won't give any shots, which really throws yeah. uh, a lot of people off because when we think about AI and we use cedars, every other protocol, uh, you know, with a short cedar period requires an injection of GNRH in the beginning. Uh, so we actually have been not giving GNRH when we put the cedar in. And we'll pull the cedars on the same day as we would the cows for this example. So we would pull the cedars on May 19th. But we'd actually pull those. And uh, if we're breeding at 9 o'clock, we would pull them in the morning. Uh, so it's 72 hours instead of 66 hours yeah. compared to cows. And we still give, you know, our normal shot of lutealize. And then we would show up to breed cows on, at, on May 22nd at 9 a.m. So... A little bit different of a protocol, uh, still very, very simple uh, to implement as well. But it, it does require working the heifers on a different day than the cows. Yeah. I know that I have worked with you and Les both as um, in our farm program through the university, and, and I've seen them both, and we I've seen some really good results. Um, you know, yeah. a couple of times, I mean, we saw some really high results in a couple of places in Whitley County that I worked, and so, I mean, it does work. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. I know you've seen it firsthand, and, and you know, if we're, uh, for simplicity part of it, 
Um, I think that time breeding, you know, if you and Les are coming down to breed some cows, then, you know, that's obviously important that we're able to, to be able to right. time those. So that's important. Um, talk just a little bit about maybe using a, a heat patch on some synchronized cows. What, how do you feel about that? What do you what do you recommend on that part of it? Absolutely. So a heat patch is, is a, a, it's an extremely useful tool. Uh, so that's simply uh, think about it like a lottery ticket, right? So on a lottery ticket, it has a little, you know, that gray covering that you take the quarter and you, and you scrape the top of it off. A heat patch works very similar to a lotto ticket. So it's a, a little adhesive patch. It's about the size of a playing card. And we would apply that just in front of the tail head on the, on the cow or on the heifer. And it starts out gray on top. And then underneath that is usually a bright color, okay? And, and usually regardless of the color, when we go to breed somewhere, whatever that color is, we usually just refer to it as red, yeah. right? So her patch is red and it could be blue, green, or yellow. Right. Um, right. But usually we say red, right? So we'd apply that heat patch when we pull the cedar, uh, you know, and that starts out as gray. And then as those cows come in heat, you know, one of the signs of an animal being in estrus is that she'll, she'll stand to be mounted, you know, by another animal. So as those, as that heifer is standing and another heifer is riding her and she's essentially the quarter scraping the top of that lotto ticket off and that color starts to come through. So, you know, they're, um, I, I really like them. They're a very useful tool, you know, very easy to see as you drive through a pasture or as you approach a field that you can, you see all these red patches out and about and you know that these animals have been in estrus. So even if we don't, actually see her standing at some point she was standing maybe she came in in the middle of the night or, or something or while you at while you were at work or things of that nature those are a very useful tool um, they run about a dollar to a dollar fifty a piece uh, so there is a little bit of expense but you get you get you know a lot of benefit and you know what cows are in estrus uh, it helps a lot if you're going to uh, and when you're not time breeding when you're simply breeding off of estrus uh, and then perhaps you maybe clean up at a later time and do a, you know, kind of a cleanup breeding there. Uh, but you would I'd use that to identify very easily uh, those animals that are in estrus. So whenever, so I'm going to synchronize my group of heifers and we're going to, we're going to do it exactly the same up to the point that instead of a time breeding, I'm going to check mine twice a day. Right. Okay, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to put those heat patches on and I'm going to check those and so whenever I see, if I go out this morning and I see that cow number 14 has, her patch is red, then mm -hmm. when do I need to breed that, that cow or heifer? Absolutely, so this is where they, they work, you know, very nice for that. Uh, so we kind of go back to, and it goes back to the AM PM rule, right? Uh, or 12 hours basically. So if cow 14 was standing this morning and you went out, you know, after breakfast and 14's patch was red, then this evening, uh, you know, it doesn't have, it's not exactly 12 hours, right? So if you see her at nine, nine o'clock this morning, um, you don't have to go back at 9 p.m. to breed. Breed sometime, you know, five, six o'clock would, would not be an issue. Uh, but then again, if, if when you go back to breed, you know, tonight after dinner, uh, then cow 57 is in heat. So then should we breed her then? Uh, or, or when should we breed her? And that, so we'd breed her the following morning uh, when you would go out to heat check you know, for the next day. So one last step that we'll talk about is that if um, I've got a group of heifers that I decided that I want to do completely AI, I don't want to do any kind of natural service on those heifers. Mm -hmm. um, talk about, so I go through and, and 
we we're going to do breed off heat on the first first say, uh, cycle. And uh, so how do I know whenever I go back 21 days later, how am I going to know which ones to breed on that that time? Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, without doing any, you know, any extra work or any trips to the shoot. So then you would, you know, you let's say you breed all of your heifers, you know, one round of AI, and then you want, you're not going to turn a bull up. So you need to, you want to continue to do that, uh, continue to AI. So one, you know, we know that on average, the length of, uh, 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 extra cycle is 21 days right so then you and it there's a window there so maybe around uh day 16 or day 17 you start doing your twice a day heat watches right and you go check heats in the morning and in the evening and then you just continue to check heats you know for for uh you know just a little over a week and and you're so you're going to end up breeding maybe one or two heifers a day and um you know if you have the time to do that great but you know, a lot of us don't have that time to dedicate for a week that we need a heat check twice a day to rebreed these heifers. So, uh, you know, to kind of get, you know, one way to get around that if we don't have all that time and we know that she, those heifers should be in around day 21, we can kind of resynchronize uh, those heifers as well. Uh, so maybe it kind of an answer here to your question. So let's say that you breed them all on May 22nd. Right. And maybe and you use heat patches. So you bred a few of those that came in early. So you bred a handful on the 21st. Um, but that's still OK. Right. So we'll still yeah. treat them like they're all the same. So if we can use a cedar again uh, and we can actually reuse a cedar as long as it's it's cleaned and disinfected properly. Uh, or we use a new cedar. Right. It can, can be done as well. So on June 5th. So it's actually 14 days after we AI. OK. So just two weeks later, so the 22nd, I think is a Saturday. Uh, so then two, the, in two Saturdays, we would put a cedar back in and this time we're going to inject with GNRH, okay? And then we'll, we'll pull that uh, actually six days. So if we put it in on a Saturday, then we're gonna pull it out on a Friday. So that's a little, a little bit different. You can, can do, leave it in for the entire seven days, but it, it actually worked a little better if we pull it on day six. Uh, and instead of pulling it and give lutealize, so if we gave lutealize on this day, we just uh, totally, you know, screwed up or, re, you know, undid everything you did. So if we gave lutealize on that day, then we would abort every single pregnancy or nearly every pregnancy, right? Uh, and and we you just lost all that hard work. So when we pull the cedar, we do not give a shot of lutealize, but we use your heat patch. This is where these work really well. So then we heat patch those. So now, you know, we expect that those heifers would be in. And, and when I've done this, most of the time, heifers are in between 36 and 48 hours from the time we pull those cedars. Um, so then any heifer that comes in heat with a red patch, we would go ahead and breed her, you know, uh, follow the AMPM rule and we saw her in heat. And we're actually now far enough into uh, potential pregnancy of those other heifers that if they have a gray patch and they don't come in heat, uh, so we we assume that they're pregnant. Well, on, on day 28 or on day 30, we can do a, a blood pregnancy test, right? So we can pull a, a blood sample from their tail, just uh, you know one to three cc's, send that off to the lab, uh, you know have our answer back in just a couple of days, and we would know if those heifers are pregnant or not. If they're pregnant, cool beans, everything's good. You know, we don't have to work. We'll preg check them at the at the end of our breeding season. 
uh, just to confirm pregnancy, but any heifer that comes back open from that blood, we can go ahead and set her back up yeah. uh, to, to start, you know, breeding on her again. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you've gave us some great information and, and I think that, uh, you know, the main thing is, is let's try to define those calving seasons. The economics proves that uh, there is, big benefits to that. And one way to definitely get started is, is at least synchronization for natural service. Obviously with AI, we can incorporate some really good genetics and get some really good replacement heifers and that kind of thing and get some really good, really good steers, really good market steers out of that AI too. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of benefit to synchronization and artificial insemination for sure. Any last words for us today, Ben? No, maybe just to summarize Garrett, uh, as you, as you mentioned, and just to reiterate, uh, my my kind of suggestions would be to to have a controlled calving season uh, to synchronize everything, even for natural service, synchronize for natural service uh, or AI. Uh, and then, you know, AI heifers, that's typically a group that's sorted off by themselves, a group that's very easy to work with, a group that's, that's generally your better genetics. Uh, so my overall, I guess, to kind of summarize here would be use have a controlled calving season use some form of synchronization and then, you know, really think about utilizing AI in your, in your yearling heifers. One thing I will say, and I'm sure that you will agree as well is if, uh, if last year I was doing year round calving season, I'm not going to convert to a 90 day calving season this year. This takes time. This is a, this is a long process. This is not it, something that's overnight. It is a very, it is a long process and going from year round to short calving season will take, you know, two to three years, it can be done sooner, but that requires selling some cows and, and, uh, you know, certainly can be done. But if we think about it and keeping those cows and, and, and transitioning to a controlled calving season, it is a long process. So this, you know, when we're talking about synchronization and, and AI, it may not be in all of our cows, but it, each year would be continue to be more and more uh, cows out of our herd. Yeah. Well, Ben, we appreciate your time today, and thanks for all the great information. Let's go get some cows on a cabin season. Yes, sir. Sounds great. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rock Ag Podcast. For more information on any of the content of this podcast, please contact Garrett Coffee at the Rockcastle County Extension Office. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. Mm-hmm.